Welcome to the first episode of the podcast. Today is going to be kind of meta. I'm going to talk about what we're going to talk about on the podcast in future episodes. And I'll spend a few minutes talking about who I am and just basically what the show is going to be about and, and the topics we're going to explore and all that. So that's today. I'm going to try to keep it short. I'm going to predict that it's going to be 40 minutes long. Welcome to Spiritual But Not Ridiculous, a podcast that explores the world of spirituality from a grounded and clear-eyed perspective. I'm Jaya Dev, I'm your host, and I'm a former computer engineer and a former lawyer and a filmmaker, and I've also been teaching yoga for about a decade. I teach a style of yoga called elemental yoga, and it's an authentic, holistic, full-spectrum style of yoga that's designed to address the whole person and take students into the direct experience of unity and bliss, which is ultimately the goal of yoga. I mean, it's to help us to learn how to celebrate and have fun, but also to expand and to liberate ourselves. And I've, in my experience, this more holistic style of yoga is the most effective and the most fun uh, style of yoga that I've encountered. And elemental yoga is not just asana, but it's pranayama, it's kriya, it's laya movements, which are kind of like tai chi, it's warrior breaths and dance. I mean, we dance. How, how much fun is that, right? So it's also these other forms of, of traditional yoga, like karma yoga, which is being of selfless service in the world, there's uh, bhakti yoga, which is cultivating a sort of devotional quality to your life. And there's jnana yoga, which is basically wisdom. It's, it's studying ancient scriptures or listening to wisdom talks or discussing these things in a sangha or a community. It's kind of studying yourself to refine your intelligence and expand your consciousness through that modality. So it's not always just energetic work, but it's also working with the mind to develop greater uh, discernment. And we'll talk about that later. So that's who I am in a nutshell. Why I'm doing this podcast and why I teach yoga in the first place is a topic that I think we'll slowly unpack over the course of the episodes of this podcast. But I just wanted to explain a little bit about my sort of motivation and my intention going into this and just talk about why I do what I do. So I teach yoga because I believe that yoga and other spiritual practices that we'll talk about on the podcast are designed to make people more relevant, more dynamic and more powerful so that they can become more impactful and inspiring in the world. That's ultimately why I'm doing it. Um, and it's, you know, I've arrived here after many years of, of searching, really. Uh, I spent many years trying to find a way to make an impact in the world. You know, once I sort of started to get into yoga, it started to wake me up a little bit. And I started to look around for how I could be of greatest service to the world. And so initially I was looking into sort of like the nonprofit sector or environmental work, uh, policy work, uh, civil rights work things like that, where there is a possibility for great change and areas that really 
draw on my legal experience and things like that. I mean, part of my reason for going to law school in the first place was because it had the potential for, you know, making me having the skills to kind of go into these areas of impact, right? So I started to look around for where I could be uh, most relevant and which areas would would sort of draw on my skills the most. But as I as I looked at the work that people were doing in these areas and how little progress was being made in a relative sense, I, I just started to realize that the hardest part of making any kind of positive change in the world is changing people's minds, right? So, you know, you can't, come into a situation or it's extremely hard to come into a situation and have kind of a top-down approach where you're just bringing in sort of even well-reasoned arguments or um, appealing to people's higher, higher nature, that kind of thing without really those people already being awake in some sense. So for me, arriving at yoga as the most important practice and the most important thing for me to share and do in the world was this process of, of kind of realizing that it's about ultimately positive change in the world is about, I mean, first accepting the way the world is right now. You know, if you don't accept the world the way it is, then there's going to be a lot of stress and you're going to create a lot of friction and you're going to sort of approach it from a place of like uh, your job is to fix something. Right. And that's, I think, the wrong approach. But uh, it's, it's also this idea that there's got to be a grassroots sort of expansion of consciousness before there can be true change. This is something that Slovak Zizek, this modern day pop philosopher and neo-Marxist, who I find very entertaining and quite wise, he talks about this a lot. And one of his um, kind of main themes, I feel, is that the reason that most revolutions fail, or or at least the revolutions that have taken place in the past 100 years or so, is because you come in through the use of force and you you replace abruptly uh, one government with another or one set of institutions with another set. And you bring in these you know new leaders, these politicians who are basically the same people as they were before. So everybody from the politicians on down in this post-revolution world are still the same people, basically. And so... The problem there is that they're then bringing all this conditioning, all these old narratives with them, and that's sort of muddying the waters. And so that's ultimately why uh, revolutions fail is because uh, you need to change minds first. And I think, you know, a good example of this for for me, at least, is Black Lives Matter. Right. This is um, a longstanding problem we've had in this country, in the United States, where there's been systemic racism for for so so for so long, hundred a hundred years or two hundred years or, or longer, right? And um, I think a lot of people are still just waking up to that fact. And coming around to that uh, realization is a real process. It may require you to to unravel, you know, your own identity to some extent, which can be extremely frightening for people because you may be, have this identity that's wrapped up in, well, you know, I'm American, and America is a place where there's equal opportunity and the American dream is possible for everybody. And uh, we have, you know, we have uh, the Bill of Rights and equality and there can't be there can't be racism. There can't be that level of racism, you know, on police forces or whatever it is. But I think you have to slowly get there by by truly unraveling those those kind of narratives about yourself and the country you live in and the world you live in to truly see things as they are. And I think 
this is a, this is a place where having a spiritual practice like yoga can be hugely beneficial and very powerful in bringing you or bringing people to that level of awareness. Uh, and I think it's not just expanding awareness, but it's also refining your intellect. It's, it's developing a real discernment that I think is necessary, especially in this day and age, because we live in a time in the sort of hangover of the information age where there's so much misinformation and so much sort of competing narratives that it's almost hard for people to understand, you know, what can be, what's real or what's true. And I think it's easy for people to kind of throw up their hands and say, you know what, it's too confusing. I, I don't know, or I'll just kind of believe what I believe and just grip onto it tightly, you know? Um, and this is where you start, you start to get conspiracy theories and, and the problem of fake news and all that. So I think in my experience, working with these technologies, these uh, yoga technologies and plant medicine and other things, you start to develop what's truly an important skill in the world in, and that's discernment. You know, being able to tell uh, reality from non-reality, truth from fiction. And uh, not that there's some absolute truth that I'm trying to communicate, but it's just that there is an absolute truth out there. And I think there are uh, ways to, to arrive there on your own through putting these practices into place. And so that's another huge part of, of why I'm doing this is because I feel like the more people have, you know, ra raising their awareness, uh, expanding their consciousness, but also developing this discernment, I think the more it's going to be, the more these problems we face as a humanity may start to almost resolve themselves in some cases, but at least start to loosen up and start to become more tractable, I guess, you know, less intractable. So, you know, it's not to sound naive. I mean, there's also all the policy work and all the other work that you need to do alongside of this. But I, I personally feel so, so passionate about the fact that if we can liberate people's minds and, and raise awareness and expand consciousness, then these other challenges that face humanity will just kind of, they'll be, they'll be less daunting and maybe they'll, they'll kind of resolve themselves in some cases. So, um, of course, I recognize there's a lot more to this process. You know, the question, one question is, how do we go from teaching yoga and other practices to people who are privileged enough to and have the curiosity to access it? How do we go from that to impacting very large numbers of people who aren't interested in yoga or interested in, in personal evolution and that kind of thing. So this is a question I will also be exploring in future episodes of the show because I do have some thoughts on that and and maybe some answers. So that's coming as well. So, I, you know, part of the idea here is that we're approaching all of this from a very clear-eyed, grounded perspective. And I think within that, there is this immense possibility of, of expansive, expansion and, and true change uh, through that process. So another area that I think it makes spiritual practice and makes yoga so incredibly relevant is that these are technologies for helping people to learn how to feel their feelings and to be with difficult feelings and to sort of process uh, and integrate difficult feelings. So, I, you know, I think another problem that is facing humanity today uh, at a ground level, basically, is that people don't know how to feel their feelings. They haven't been given the tools, really, uh, for some strange reason. We're not really raised uh, in this country or any country to to know how to feel our feelings. And so what ends up happening is that people go around with all these unprocessed emotions 
And then they're sort of projecting that onto other people. They're bringing that into situations and conflict and then making it worse and creating more conflict. And of course, we have uh, secondary problems like depression and uh, suicidal ideation and the opioid crisis and all these things that come out of just a basic inability to feel your feelings and to be sort of with difficult feelings, you know, to not be afraid of feelings, right? And so for me and my own personal experience, yoga and plant medicines especially have offered such powerful tools for helping me to feel my feelings and helping helping me to let my feelings flow and then let them go, right? And to become more of a whole integrated person. Because I, I really feel like you can't be a healthy adult until you've learned how to sit with uncomfortable emotions uh, without numbing or escaping or blaming other people, you know, just sitting there and just feeling these feelings, right? It's not easy, but at the same time, it's not the hardest thing in the world once you have the tools. So feeling your feelings, another hugely important practice for people and a, and a thing that can be uh, made easier with these tools and technologies that I'm going to be exploring in the podcast as a whole. I think the third uh, major reason or sort of major benefit uh, to these practices and the reason that I'm sharing them and doing this podcast is that uh, you can say that like the ultimate message of yoga or any other spiritual practice is that there is literally nothing to be afraid of right now. I, I think we're living in an age of fear. I think fear has really taken a hold of the planet in a, to a large extent. And so I think it's so crucial for us to, to combat that fear, not in a combative way, but to address the fear and the, again, the practice of yoga, especially, but also plant medicine is so, so instrumental in learning to first just let go of your own fears and to move out of a place of fear as a motivator and a motiva motivating factor in your life. But also to then, once you've done that, to take fear as almost like a positive signal. And so then you, it's, you know, it's more of an advanced practice, but you start to use fear as a practice. You start to, to lean into fear in your life and to explore it and to play with it even, right? And you, you maybe identify those things in your life that like scare the hell out of you. And then you intentionally step into them. Of course, not things that are like, you know, rational fears that are dealing with some immediate physical threat. But other than that, you know, things that are like dreams you have that are too scary or things in your life that you'd love, always wanted to do, but are too, too afraid of, you know, um, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. And being able to lean into that fear is, is a real power. And I think from, in my own experience, that's been my journey is, is sort of letting go of, of fears in the first place and then moving intentionally towards fear. So those are the big ones, you know, raising awareness, uh, feeling feelings and, and dealing with fear and using fear as a spiritual practice are some of the main reasons that I'm teaching yoga, but also uh, doing this podcast, because I, I think that it's, it's, such a pregnant time for us to be sharing these practices, to be learning these practices and to be putting these practices into place uh, on a regular basis. So yeah, so addressing the, this kind of root cause, this, this like dense consciousness state of a lot of people in the world is kind of the natural fulcrum point for me personally to make a positive impact in the world.
And another thing we'll probably explore in more depth is uh, it's it's dangerous to come into a situation and try to bring change from the top down because uh, as outsiders to a situation, we might come in with all these sort of notions uh, about how to solve the problems that are not relevant. You know, you may, you may bring your own conditioning, your own cultural uh, baggage, your own personal baggage, what have you, into the situation and then try to impose change from the top down. I mean, this is almost like you could, you could call this a colonialist approach to, to change, right? You come into a situation without really being part of the situation, situation and then you start to impose all these ideas onto it. And that just introduces more stress into the situation and doesn't usually solve anything, right? So instead you come in and you you come in with empathy and you really integrate with the community that's, that's facing the challenge. And then you kind of move into it from a place of total present moment awareness and infinite adaptability and using your intuition and these other, other skills that that you develop through spiritual practice that are not just coming at everything as if it's a intellectual puzzle to solve. So that's something else we'll explore a lot in future episodes. But, you know, in terms of why I'm doing this, it's also just the simple fact that for me, I love studying yoga and other practices. I love sharing it, teaching it. The entire yoga Vedantic tradition from India is such a rich uh, set of practices that have evolved partly through uh, the scientific method, really, you know, through trial and error and, and finding what works, you know, and it's, it's evolved over the course of maybe five, six, seven thousand years or more, you know, so it's such a deep tradition that's been continuously evolving uninterrupted in India for that entire time. So I just, I just love it. And I think it's, um, it's such an important thing to share with, with as many people as possible. So with this podcast, I intend to bring, spirituality to hopefully a wider audience as this kind of life-changing ethos and not some kind of like fuzzy, fuzzy headed escapism. It's, it's really a way to become a more present functioning, happy member of society. Ultimately I'll end this part with this quote. Uh, so Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita, this famous book, uh, Krishna is telling Arjuna, this warrior who's been struggling with um, some, some despair, some challenges in his life and uh, trying to understand his place in the world. You know, Krishna is teaching him yoga in this book and Krishna tells Arjuna, as long as spirituality is pushed to the outskirts of society, then society cannot change or evolve. And so that kind of, for me, that kind of sums up uh, what I'm getting at here. I think part of my intention is to help bring spirituality a little bit out of uh the fringes of society and more into the mainstream. I'm not going to do that myself, but I want to be part of that conversation as I think it continues to happen in, in this current time. So what's up with the title? Why is it called spiritual, but not ridiculous? Well, it's a, it's a play on words, which I'll get into in a second. But, but first of all, it's hopefully it conveys the fact that the, the podcast is about spirituality, but it's also coming from a place of groundedness and, you know, clear eyed sort of practicality too. Uh, my own background as uh, sort of atheist and 
scientist and engineer and lawyer, I think gives me a unique perspective on spirituality because I'm coming to it from that sort of grounded, very practical mindset, right? So I feel like I'm a trusted resource when it comes to, you know, what is a way to practice that is not going to result in spiritual ego or spiritual bypass or being ridiculous, right? So that's the first thing. It's a reference to spiritual, but not religious, which is a, a phrase that more and more people in the world are using to identify their belief system. So more people uh, today than at any time in history identify as spiritual, but not religious. Philip Goldberg talks about this in his wonderful book, American Veda, where he says that people identifying as spiritual, but not religious are somewhere between 16 and 39% of the U S population. So it's, it's a pretty big number of people and it's growing every day. And so it's, it's a reference to that. Uh, I'm not saying necessarily that religion is ridiculous. Uh, we'll get into that in a minute, but, uh, the, the idea again is that it's just, you know, it's spiritual, but Hey, we have a little bit of a sense of humor. We have a little bit of, uh, you know, self-awareness and it's not ridiculous. So, um, that's the idea behind the title. Yeah. It's intended to call attention to the fact that there are, there are challenges with spirituality. It kind of has like a bad reputation almost today. And I wanted to kind of address that too in today, but in, in future episodes as well, you know, you've got, uh, intellectuals and people in the mainstream who think that spiritual people are lost or escapist or irrational or anti-scientific. So spirituality for this reason has a bad rap. And I, I just want to kind of address that right up front. Yeah. So I think though, for us to get into that, it's necessary for us to talk about spirituality and to define it or try to define it and to kind of use that as a framework here. And then I'll talk more about what else I was going, I'm going to cover in the podcast in future episodes. So I think it's important at this point to try to define spirituality. We'll, in a sense, we'll be defining spirituality as we go through every episode and kind of unpacking it slowly and slowly over time. But for now, I think it's important to at least set up an initial framework for the topic and to try to define it in some way. So let me, let me take a stab at it. Uh, in yoga, you, we understand that we are not our mind, we are not our emotions, and we are ultimately not our body. But if that's true, then who are we, right? And that's a question that we, we uh, explore extensively in the practice of yoga. This is actually a, a style of yoga that was popularized by Ramana Maharshi in, uh, in India in the 20th century. Uh, this, just asking yourself this question repeatedly, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And this is a jumping off point to talk about how spirituality is sort of a, a way to answer that question in some sense. So spirituality too, for me, is it's a means for approaching and relaxing into the mystery of life. I think there's no denying for me, at least that there are so many deep mysteries to life and, you know, to adopt this sort of materialistic 20th century scientific mindset that says that, Oh, there's no mystery except for these little questions about 
quantum physics or whatever. And ultimately we know all the answers and we're so close to, you know, decoding the DNA sequence or whatever. And other than that, it's just, you know, the big bang and uh, the universe is random and empty and cold and whatever. I don't think that satisfies most people. I think we need a deeper cosmology, a deeper sort of uh, worldview, a deeper ethos to help us to not only feel better and uh, find meaning in life, but also to, to sort of like become better people. And so, so spirituality, you know, it's, it's this, it's this practice, it's this worldview, it's this ethos that helps us to acknowledge that there is something more than what we see. And then kind of finding ways to tap into that, you know, to finding ways to access that experientially. The direct experience component of spirituality is absolutely crucial. And we'll talk about that more in the future. But I want to be clear, spirituality too includes and requires rational thought. It requires intellectual rigor and even the scientific method. Yoga is a good example. And yoga, the ancient yogis and modern yogis and everybody, you know, it's it's having these practices, having these uh, thoughts, having these kind of pieces of wisdom, what have you, and then applying them over time, practicing them over time and seeing if they result in consistent results, if they result in a consistent truth, you know, that's part of spirituality. Spirituality includes, you know, science in a sense. And, you know, ultimately I think we are spiritual beings and there's a real power in acknowledging that fact and, and working with it and exploring it. Maybe a, a helpful way to define spirituality is to contrast it with religion. And so religion, in my opinion, is what you get when spirituality becomes organized, industrialized, uh, governed by an organization with a central authority, you know, that's, that's religion, right? We see that with, uh, the modern religions of the, of the world. We see that with Catholicism. We see that with Mormonism, um, Judaism, all these things, you know, they start to become codified in a way where the original sort of magic of the thing that was the initial spark somehow gets lost in all this ritual and uh, dogma and all that, right? So through that process of, of turning spirituality into a religion, the direct transcendental experience of that practice is stripped away or just diluted or lost, you know, and there's this, this reliance on empty rituals. You know, I grew up Catholic and in my experience of Catholicism as it's practiced in the modern world, you know, you go to church, you read from the Bible, you pray, you sing some songs, and all these things are just empty. They're empty rituals. Nobody is getting the direct experience of transcendence from these things, at least that I have seen. Nobody I've talked to, you know, I mean, maybe it's happening in certain uh, sort of spinoffs, you know, or maybe more in these um, more, you know, kind of esoteric uh, Christian sects that are uh, practicing, you know, speaking in tongues and that kind of thing. But for the, for the most part, I think religion is where spirituality has been sapped of all its juice. So that's, that's one way to think about sort of the difference at least between spirituality and, and religion. Another thing that has motivated me to make this podcast really is that a few people recently who I respect deeply have been highly critical of 
spirituality and spiritual people. And it's really inspired me to, to speak out more about it because I've been noticing what happens with people is that they are hanging out in these spiritual communities, you know, in Tulum or in Bali or wherever, where there's all these people who, you know, are into yoga and going to the jungle and doing ayahuasca or whatever, but don't seem to be acting in integrity or they seem a little bit like disconnected from reality or, you know, they seem to be uh, privileged and just sort of doing these things without bringing it back into the, into the world. Right. And so I, I really sympathize with that because that's, that is a, a real problem, but I want to say, and part of what I'm trying to say in this podcast and in future episodes and the whole thing is that within all that, there are veins of gold. There's, there's veins of truth and spirituality is still the most, one of the most important and necessary things to, to share and to bring to a wider audience despite all that, you know? So I think what's happening there, and this is a topic for another, another episode, but this is what you might call spiritual ego or spiritual bypass, right? Where people, they encounter yoga, yoga or plant medicine. It does give them some experience of unity or some positive change, increased happiness, that kind of thing. And then there's this sort of desire to, to go too fast too quickly, right? So you want to you want to get to the end goal. You want to become enlightened by the end of the year, and you want to uh, to do that by skipping a bunch of steps, right? And so, what you end up doing in that case with spiritual bypass is you start to adopt all these spiritual concepts. You know, we are all one, or it's all love, or whatever it is, as just intellectual concepts, and you start to uh, sort of develop an identity around it, right? And that can be dangerous. And that's when I think people start to seem a little out of touch is when they're just doing that. And it's clear to other people that they've got all these unresolved issues or a lot of ego or whatever it is, right? Uh, it can become overly commercialized. I think another uh, challenge for spirituality in general is that it's been so heavily co-opted by the corporate America in a lot of cases. You know, I think this goes back to Slovak Zizak, who points out in his really, really entertaining documentary, uh, The Idiot's Guide to, no, yeah, no, The Pervert's Guide to Ideology. <laughs> yeah, I recommend it. It's, it's really good. I, you should check it out. But, um, but in there, he says that uh, the way that corporate culture works and the way that capitalism works is that it is designed almost to co-opt every positive movement and to kind of like absorb it into the Borg of capitalism, right? So that's what's been happening with spirituality. And I think this is also turning people off, you know, so it's all these things. And so I want to address spiritual ego and spiritual bypass on the podcast, because I think these are things that are, they're easily, not easily, but uh, these are things that can be addressed. And there are answers to these challenges, right? You know, you can do the shadow work, you can have a consistent spiritual practice, you can really dedicate yourself to uh, deep spiritual work. And if you're truly practicing, then the spiritual ego and the spiritual bypass just naturally falls away. And so that brings us to maybe the final point I'll make about spirituality here, which is that spirituality has to have a set of practices. 
So in my opinion, an essential component of spirituality is the practices, because these are what helps you to integrate experiences, right? Uh, without the practices, you can go to ayahuasca every weekend or whatever, but then you come back into your regular life and, you know, maybe you're behaving differently, but at the same time, there's this lack of integration where you're not bringing those experiences and planting them deeply into the grooves of your life, right? And so integration is so important for any, any spiritual experience. And it's the practices that hopefully become a daily practice that are really what gives you lasting personal change, makes you more of a master of yourself and allows you to be more impactful in the world. And so, you know, these practices, they give you this sort of sense of fearlessness that we were talking about earlier. They make you more compassionate, more empathetic. They give you a greater capacity for forgiveness and they increase your joy and they give you greater access to your inherent bliss nature, right? So you start to accept yourself, you, you accept the world, you accept other people as a starting point towards sort of becoming more present, more adaptable, and then having a capacity for true impact in the world. And like I was saying earlier, you also hopefully have a sense of humor about it all. And, you know, this capacity too for celebration and for enjoying life, right? So it's not like you become serious. And, and this is kind of more of the yoga perspective. Uh, you know, I think there is, there are other spiritual practices. I think you know, Buddhism is an example where maybe it's a little more serious. You know, there's this sort of almost like uh, goal of, of liberating all beings. But uh, with yoga, there's this sort of little dance that we do between liberation and celebration. So, so those are, you know, that's so spirituality has um, it's a worldview, but it's also a set of practices and it has all these enormous, incredible benefits as well. So I'll just end this section with a quote from Elizabeth Lesser, the founder of the Omega Institute. If you drew a long line and put modern cynicism at the start and beginner's mind at the end, you'd have a map for the contemporary spiritual pilgrim. Somehow our culture has evolved to the point where pessimism has become synonymous with intelligence and where an overload of information is mistaken for knowledge. And so for me, that quote kind of sums up like the theme of this podcast and the common common thread through all the things that I want to talk about on the podcast. I feel very strongly that we are entering a kind of new age that this quote speaks to. And it's been happening for a while, but we're really coming into, I think, the heart of it now. So that brings me to some of the other topics I want to cover on the podcast. So the first one is this, this kind of wisdom revolution that is happening right now and that is very exciting for me. This is an idea that was first proposed by Peter Russell in the late 90s, I think, and popularized by people like Daniel Pinchbeck. And this is an idea that um, we're just as we had the Industrial Revolution and the Information Age, there is this new wave of deep and widespread change that's coming in the world and in humanity that is sort of the wisdom revolution. And it's this idea that more and more people are interested in spirituality and other modes of being beyond just, uh, you know, a nine to five job or, or living in a box of some kind, you know, there's this, this, uh, this desire for something more or something deeper, some kind of um, 
deeper meaning in life, right? And people are seeking out uh, alternative ways of, of being and, and spirituality is a big part of that. And this idea resonates so deeply with me, especially in the past year or so. I mean, it feels like something is profoundly changing in the world. And it's clear to me that more and more people are interested in spiritual practices of some kind, you know, whether that's meditation or ayahuasca or um, yoga or whatever it is. So it's this is something I want to dedicate at least one entire episode to talking about is this wisdom revolution. You know, there's, uh, there's a lot to say there. I'll just leave it at that. But yeah, very exciting time to be alive. I also want to explore on the podcast other elements of yoga outside of just asana. So not the, not the postures. I mean, the postures are important, but so much has been said and, and, you know, studied about the postures, but I, I want to try to bring these other elements of yoga, especially Kriya and energetic practices and more traditional stuff that I've been studying in India, bring that to a wider audience as well. You know, I've been doing that with my teaching and my online platform and all that, but but I want to explore that more on the podcast too and have guests who are able to, able to speak to that. I'm also a Vedic astrologer and I want to talk about astrology on a future episode and in the podcast because this is another example of a, a spiritual tradition in a sense that really has a bad rap in, uh, in the West at least. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what it is. You know, it's really a science and I would like to sort of make the case in a future episode for astrology as a legitimate sort of approach to understanding the world and understanding yourself. And then plant medicine, you know, has been a hugely instrumental part of my life. And I want to kind of explore that, talk about that, demystify that a little bit too. Um, you know, talk about maybe the, the overlap between working with plant medicine and yoga, you know, there's a real symbiosis there that I've had personal experience with. And I'm so committed to exploring and discussing both paths, you know, the, the indigenous paths from South America and the ancient yoga paths from India. So that's a little bit about myself, a little bit about why I'm doing this and a little bit about spirituality and what this podcast is going to be about. So in terms of the structure, there will be a new episode about once a month, sometimes more, sometimes less. I'll do shows where it's just me talking sometimes, but sometimes I'll have interviews with guests. I've already got a few guests lined up, so I'm excited about that. And uh, I may even answer questions. So I encourage you to shoot me an email or post a comment on the podcast on YouTube or wherever you're listening to it. And, uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm totally open to having a dialogue with this podcast. And just as a preview, some of the upcoming episodes I already have planned, there's going to be one about astrology. There's going to be one that's sort of a defense of spirituality, as you can probably guess. <laughs> and uh, there's going to be an episode devoted to leaning into fear as a, as a practice. And then, yeah, I have, I have a few guests lined up um, to talk about yoga and other spiritual practices. So that's the podcast. I'm so excited to start putting these out there. I've been wanting to do it for a while and, uh, and I just, I just love talking about this stuff. So check out the show notes for some links to some of the things I've talked about. You can find those wherever you get the podcast, but also at elemental.yoga slash podcast. You can leave a comment 
on the podcast app that you use or on this, on YouTube if you're getting it there. And uh, you can also subscribe to my newsletter. If you go to elemental.yoga slash newsletter, you can find a link there to, to sign up. And I just want to leave you with this parting thought that there is nothing that your curiosity, awareness, and willingness cannot transcend or achieve. Thank you for joining. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Adios.